Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to Your Daily Page. As always, our sponsor is Psychotic Today. This company is amazing, I must say. Their new app actually allows you to scan any person's face to find out if they're a psychopath. So go check it out on their website at www.psychoapp.ca and don't forget to use our discount code P123 for 50% off. Okay, let's get started. I've had some calls come into the studio asking my opinion on who I believe is Canada's most notorious killer. This is definitely a tough one. There's so many crazy people out there today, but I did end up talking to one of my colleagues who was born around the 70s, and he told me his experiences watching the news and seeing Paul Bernardo. So guess who he brought in to speak with us today? I've been so excited about this interview all month. Get ready to exercise your brains, people, because you're about to experience a real mind boggle. So here we go. For those of you who don't know Paul Bernardo, he is one of Canada's most famous serial killers and rapists. His crime started in the early 80s in Scarborough, Ontario, where in the span of a week, he brutally raped three different women. Authorities were notified of all three cases, which seemed to link in the way they were carried out, and from then continued his five years of rampage. So what's weird to me is that Bernardo actually was called in by the police, but he was never deemed a suspect. Before I give up too much detail on the crimes, I'm now going to air Carla Hamolka, the ex-wife of Paul Bernardo, to explain the inside story of the Barbie and Ken killer's life. You really didn't think I was going to bring Paul freaking Bernardo into my studio, did you? Carla, welcome to the show. We're very grateful to have you here. I understand you were married to Paul Bernardo from 1991 to 93. Could you start by giving us some insight into the beginning of your relationship and how you two met? Yes, yes, of course. So, Paul and I met when I was 17 at a pet convention. He struck me as a very attractive man and seemed to have a very persuasive personality. We started in the engagement of our sexual relations the day we met, which only inflamed in the time going forward. From then on, we learned each other's desires, which both of us encouraged. We decided to marry, which I may note ended abruptly three years later, Uh, but we had a decent run with time. Okay, so um, what I'm wondering, and I think what all my viewers are wondering, is uh, if you were unwilling accomplice in these killings, or if you were actually a large role in the assaults that played out on the multiple women. Yes, um, I would bring young women home for Paul, and he would have drinks with them, or I would bring them home unconscious to him, and from there on, I would either videotape or help him whatever I was instructed to do. I understand after three years of your marriage, things started to go downhill. Could you please expand on that for us? After our three years of marriage, Paul started to get bored of me, even though he thought he took most nights out looking for his next victim. He eventually turned his eyes to my sister, Tammy, who was 15 years old at the time. I promised Paul my sister's virginity for Christmas, and he got it. So, just to clarify, um, what exactly do you mean when you say he got it? On December 23rd, 1990, while at a Christmas party at my family home, I spiked my sister's drinks with animal anesthetics I stole from my work. That night, when the rest of my family was asleep and my sister was unconscious, I held a halothene-soaked cloth over my sister's mouth and Paul and I both took turns raping her while we videotaped it. Um, At what point did you think it was appropriate to call the ambulance? Well, after we finished, we started to panic because she started to choke on her own vomit, 
So we finished cleaning up the evidence and then called an ambulance. Right, and it was deemed an accident according to the autopsy, correct? Um, from what I understood, yes. <clears throat> At this time, I would like to invite our listeners to call into the studio and ask any questions they may have regarding this specific case. Please note, we will not answer any calls under the age of 18, and we will, they will not be considered in this process. Hello, Deanna. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for taking my call. I actually have a question about the relationship between Paul and Carla. I was wondering what she meant when she claimed she was deemed his slave. Well, Paul would sometimes hit me when I didn't turn the sink off or when I didn't listen to him and he would threaten me by saying I should watch my back around him. But I think it was just his way of asserting his dominance because he was my master. Okay, we have another incoming call. Good afternoon, George. Yes, good afternoon. First off, I would like to thank you for answering my call. Uh, the question I have is about your sister. Um, all these years, after all these years, sorry, do you have any feelings or remorse of what you did to your sister and all of the other victims? Um, next question, please. Is that all you have to say about the topic, Carla? Yes, um, next question, please. Okay, um, we now have a call coming in from Burlington. Tanya, how are you today? I'm great. Thank you for inviting me onto the show. Um, for starters, I just want to clarify that I'm a psychiatrist from the hospital in Burlington. Um, I've lived through watching this case play out on TV and in the news, and it's been very interesting to me how Mrs. Homacola has not touched on her feelings and <clears throat> like anything towards the crime she's committed. So I do have a few questions. It's definitely a two-parter. First being, um, how could you possibly be okay with your husband committing these acts while he's married to you? And um, secondly, what exactly went through your mind when you actively participated in these horrible acts? Were you just okay with the fact you're ruining a prepubescent teenager's life, or did your actions actually have implications in your everyday life? Well, um, we both encouraged each other's behavior. It was a desire we both dedicated our time to. And it was more of a bonding thing for me because it helped me learn to obey my master. He just wanted what was best for us, and this is what made him and the both of us happy. Um, so you feel that this was no mistake to happen, correct? Let me ask you this. Um, if there was any way a chance presented again where you could speak with the parents of the victims, what exactly would you say? Well, I probably wouldn't show up. I know that my psychiatrist would want me to express my feelings of remorse and beg for my forgiveness, but in my heart, I know Paul would want me to stay true to myself and be proud of what I've accomplished. Okay, thank you, Tanya, and everybody else for calling into the show. We appreciate all of your insightful questions and helping us further understand this case. We no longer have time for any more calls, but stay tuned for next week's show for our next surprise guest. At this time, I will now also thank Mrs. Homacola for her time, as we'll excuse her from the podcast. I want to use the rest of this time to go back and talk more about Paul's life since we have shared a lot about his former wife and his her side of the story. Earlier, I was saying how Paul is one of Canada's most notorious criminals, but we never explained how he got there, so I'm just going to dive into it. Paul was born August 27, 1964 in Toronto, Ontario. He grew up in a well-off household, but was soon to grow into a sadistic psychopath. 
<clears throat> After high school, he was accepted into the University of Toronto, where his sexual fantasies were getting more intense. It was said from former girlfriends that he would imagine insane plans of his virgin farm, where he would breed virgins to rape. In the mid to late 80s, he had two restraining orders filed against him from older girlfriends who claimed he would threaten to kill them. It had been claimed that in Paul's first marriage, he began to grow very abusive and even sexually abused his own daughter. After an argument with his mother, he learned that he was actually the production of an affair and not his father's true child. Following this incident, he began to act differently, becoming more violent and acting more frequently of his horrid fantasies. In the following years of his divorce with his first wife, he met Carla Hokolna, who he quickly grew attached to and began committing crimes with. There were many rapes carried out by Paul in the years following. <clears throat> his first rape was carried out in Scarborough against a 21-year-old woman in front of her parents' house in 1984, and from then he attempted to rape one woman and raped another three women in the same year. In 1988... He raped another six women and continued well into the 90s, sexually assaulting 11 women in total and attempting to rape four other women. One of the most horrid and unruly sexual assaults during the violent enrage crowned by Bernardo and his wife, Carla Holcoma, was the rape and the killing of Carla's 14-year-old sister, which was explained earlier in the podcast. I think the fact that both Carla and Paul were in on this satanic outburst was absolutely enraging to the community and even worldwide from the coverage it was exposed to. What seemingly goes unnoticed is how Carla's family never speaks on this topic or the disappointment in their daughter. What actually happened is the opposite. When in an interview regarding Carla's release from prison, her father replied, someday I guess, when asked whether he'd expect to have a relationship with Carla after her release from the federal institution. Paul received a sentence of life without parole for 25 years in solitary confinement. As for Carla, she was sentenced 12 years in prison and released in 2005, and since remarried and given birth. I don't know who let the crazy lady out of the bag, but I think the more important question is, who in the world married this woman? Someone please tell me. Um, stay tuned for the next episode where we're going to take on our most frequently asked questions about how staying up until 4 a.m. to complete a law assignment impacts your mental capacity. Thank you so much for listening and remember to like, subscribe, and come back next time.